HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash speakeasy. This week on Meet and 3, we look at how we've adapted to a new normal during the pandemic. From the business of restauranteering and the new habits of composters to learning from the past to prepare for the future, we're exploring what came before and what lies ahead. People in charge of the collections and the acquisitions looked at me and were like, what the hell are you trying to sell me cookery for? These kids are so young and we're teaching them that it's okay to throw out all this food and we have to figure out a way to educate these students to make them, you know, lifelong environmentalists. Tune in to Meet and 3 wherever you get your podcasts for the latest stories in the world of food. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. My name is Southern Teague. And I'm Greg Benson. <laughs> Hey, fellas. Gentlemen. How are we doing? <laughs> here we are again. Uh, here we are again together yep. but separate. Uh, yep. Another virtual studio. Another COVID, another COVID recording. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, uh, it's, I've been saying this, it's going to be weird. It's going to be nice, but it's going to be weird to see you guys in the same room once we, uh, once we move out of our virtual studios and back into that, that delightful little shipping container behind Roberta's. I will uh, say. I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, but uh, frankly, you guys can kiss off. I'm looking forward to some Roberta's pizza. I was just going to say, yeah, it's wow. like the, the pizza at my virtual studio pales in comparison to what I'm used to. I have three things to say. One, I agree with that, pizza. Uh, two, <laughs> I'm wondering what's going on with our bar and like if we left any like vermouth or anything that's turning in the in the, uh, the oh, studio no. bar. Oh, I hadn't even given uh, a thought three, to the studio bar. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then three, uh, to, to be honest, it's just, it's always kind of weird looking at your faces. So (laughs) (laughs) the longer we can keep doing this, the better for me. I'm kidding. I'm kidding guys. Uh, That's why Damon always wears those dark, dark glasses in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's for other reasons. That's, that's, (laughs) you know, Tuesday nights are usually, uh, the nights that I, 
would bartend with Henry O, and uh, we'd stay up real late. So the, those glasses were for a hangover. But uh, yeah, Henry I did miss, o, I miss that guy. Roberta. I miss, I, miss, uh, I miss seeing the I'm, folk that Roberta's a bunch. I, exactly. That's what I miss the most. Fuck the pizza. Fuck the shipping container. I miss seeing the faces and the people that we know and love that work there and uh, hanging out with the team uh, from Heritage Radio. Hanging out with Amanda. Amanda, you, you mean a lot to us. Um, you know. Can but, I just say um, how many people or rather how many hosts have been saying how much they love the studio, but I don't think there's anybody who misses the studio more than us engineers. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. Like I said, I don't miss the studio. I miss your faces. So I, I look forward to us finally getting back to being able to be social again without so much distance in in there. Amen. Um, yeah. Damon, what's going on out in California? Uh, how are things going? Well, as you can hear, there's uh, some construction going on next door uh, from the house. So that swing and hammer is. Uh, a little annoying, but you know, it's, it's good to see, like, I'm looking out my window and people are out doing stuff and like, you know, so I can't be mad at that. Um, not great for radio, but it's also great to, uh, you know, people are doing things in their yards, working in their houses, you know, taking on projects. And like that to me is really cool. You know, like I, I've been doing it a lot myself and, uh, you know, we've, we've talked with several guests on the show over the past, you know, couple months and, I always like to ask them what they're, you know, what they've been up to, like how their normal routine has changed to what they're doing now. And, you know, it seems like a lot of people are taking on a lot of projects. A lot of my musician buddies, I always kind of give them a little bit of hell. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know that that concept album you've been talking about doing for the last 20 years? It's like if if you don't have that finished by the time things open back up, like you're not a real <laughs> musician. If you don't have like your own version of Dark Side of the Moon, you know, like. <laughs> you haven't done it right <laughs> but uh but yeah it's it's in, in not just like in in like in those ways but you know uh taking on different projects around things that need to be done around the bar or the restaurant you know things that need to be done like as far as like catching up with friends and family there's a lot of people who have been you know on my radar that were just off because you know we were just you know especially in new york just so busy and you know a lot of those old friends that you know back from your hometown and uh, just from your past that you may have lost touch with, you know, I've connected, I've reconnected with a lot of them. I've definitely like, I have a much better relationship with my parents now because I, you know, I, I had the time to actually talk with them on a pretty regular basis. And uh, yeah, so it's just like, I, I don't know. It's, I, I'm also a, a, like an optimist to a fault. So I, I like to, see the positives and through all these things there's a lot of crazy fucked up shit going on right now in the world and but i can see how i can see the silver lining i can see the light in the tunnel and uh yeah, yeah. And i think like, it's important like you said Souther before like you said you know like i don't want things to get back to normal because normal wasn't that great to begin with and uh you know it's like i want to see what happens next you know and, and yeah me, here's our I chance like to here's of, our chance to overhaul it yeah exactly i love that I mean, I also, I I, I would say, well, what's going on in New York is different than what I'm about to say. But what I'm about to say is, you know, I've been reconnecting with people as well. I think in the last three months during the crisis, the pandemic, whatever, I've been on the phone more. I've logged more hours on the telephone um, than I have in the last three years. You know, Uh, I'm not just saying like, oh, maybe I'll text my friend. I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to call him. And then we end up talking for an hour, you know. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of that's been happening. A lot of reconnection with old friends. A lot of deeper connections with current friends. And so it's been really, 
positive in that light, if you want to talk about positive parts. Uh, what's going on in New York? I mean, we're scheduled to, looks like we're going to do phase two on Monday. Um, makes me nervous. That gives us some potential for outdoor seating, um, limited. Um, not sure how we're going to do that, but we're going to try and do some outdoor seating at Amore Margo, which, we've, which we, way, way, way in the beginning, we had literally two, two tops outside. But we're going to have a bunch of tables outside. I remember those, yeah. <laughs> yeah, two goofy little two tops right in front. Um, very European. Um, so uh, we're going to try and, and break into that, and we're gearing up to, you know, hopefully pass all the safety measures to get into phase three, which would then be to, to open to a limited degree. Um, and we've talked before on the air regarding, like, I I don't know how I feel about it, Damon. I don't know how I, uh, you as a business owner as well feel about, like, is it going to be worth it to open at 50% capacity? Is it going to be worth it to open with outdoor seating? It's just going to be me, so it's worth it to me, I guess. But I don't know about bringing employees back on if they can't make money. I don't know about opening the doors and, and risking those safety issues if if we can't generate revenue that's going to be meaningful. Um, but at the same time, you know, I want to be visible and I want to fight and I want to let the neighborhood and, and all my my, you know, uh, guests and fans know that, you know, we're trying to make it, we're trying to survive and we're, we hope to be here. But it's a lot of, I don't know, term, I feel like the turmoil part of all this is kind of past, or at least we've gotten just used to it. And now we're just in this like still state of anxiety. It's mostly anxiety for me. Agreed. What, what I want to know about the outdoor seating at Amori Amargo is um, if I go and I sit down and I get up to like send a text or whatever and I come back, is my chair still going to be there or are you going to like seamlessly whisk them away the way you do at the bar stores? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have outdoor seating and then we're going to remove the seats. Um, <laughs> so we're going to do outdoor standing at Amori Amargo. <laughs> we'll call it outstanding. There we go. Oh, wow. Uh, you didn't hear first on the speakeasy, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna post our uh, our back and forth corn pun thread just to just to, sh- just to <laughs> oh, show wow. just to show people this is show people our current state of mentality. Um, yeah. <laughs> we made a real meal out of that one. Yeah, yeah indeed. <laughs> a lot of a lot of grist for the mill. Oh, so uh, we do have our virtual studio happening again where none of us are in the same room, but we're chatting uh, on the air. And of course, we have a guest in the room. Greg, you want to bring our guest in? Yeah, absolutely. So today we have uh, Meredith Grelly. Speaking of uh, grain, she's coming to us some Wiggle Whiskey in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Meredith. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Of course. Thank you so, so much for coming on. So you are the... Um, co-owner of Wiggle Whiskey and of Threadbare Cider. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, you got it. Awesome. So uh, so how how did this come about? Because you were, uh, you know, you, you went to business school and you, uh, you and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. You had an interest in this, but you also sort of looked at the market of how distilleries were run and how whiskey was... Not how much, not how it was produced necessarily, but how it was sold and how it was packaged and pitched to people. And you saw, um, you saw something wanting in there, and you kind of looked at it and you're like, "Well, I could do it better than that." Yeah, well, it's a family business, Wiggle Whiskey and Threadbare, um, and we. So, you know, we're from Pittsburgh, and I know you guys know, but we, um, you know, Pittsburgh was the birthplace of American rye whiskey. And Hell yeah, we, Monongahela style rye whiskey. I'm into oh it. Yeah, exactly. So we really wanted to do something in craft alcohol, and we had had a passion for um, 
craft booze for um, some time. And as we thought about where we wanted to sit in that space, um, you know, we felt that being from Pittsburgh, we had a bit of a responsibility to to try to bring back this incredible heritage of rye whiskey back to our region, which had really evaporated. Um, so we set out to start a distillery, and this was in um, 2010, about a decade ago now. Um, and when we looked at the larger liquor industry, you know, we were certainly inspired by some of the um, craft distilleries that had begun even earlier than we had. And when we looked at their models, we saw this model that was really built in a traditional liquor company model. They would produce a single product as efficiently as possible and distribute it as widely um, as possible across the U.S. or even abroad. Uh, and when we looked at that model, we thought, well, we're never going to beat Diageo at that model. They're always going to win when it comes to sales and marketing and dollar spend. Is there a different kind of model? The other thing that really informed the way we thought about how we wanted to create a company in craft alcohol um, was really the level of obfuscation and consumer confusion that we felt existed in the liquor industry. We really felt that um, a lot of the margin, especially in the world of rye whiskey, was built on consumer confusion. So, you know, at the time we started the distillery, Pennsylvania, which is the largest single liquor purchaser um, in the country and perhaps and the globe because the state government owns all the liquor stores here. Um, when we looked at their rye whiskey set on the shelves, we saw that uh, the vast majority of the rye whiskey came from exactly two distilleries. And coming from Western Pennsylvania, which at the height of whiskey making here, we were producing half a barrel of whiskey for every man, woman, and child in America. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> and we had thousands of small distilleries and a couple dozen really large distilleries. We looked at that landscape and thought, well, we're living in the most boring whiskey landscape America has ever known. Um, but this ride and, and, and somewhat inadvertently, I think I think what you're saying yeah. is that the consumer wasn't even aware that we had this great heritage of rye whiskey in this country. And post prohibition, we shifted gears to bourbon and, and we sort of just kind of forgot about rye. Yeah. And we forgot about rye as a category. And then we also forgot about the regionality in whiskey that historically has been so important to whiskey, not only in America, but um, in other countries as well. Um, but certainly in America, there was Western Pennsylvania rye, which was, as you mentioned earlier, Monongahela rye. There was Virginia rye, Maryland rye. Um, but when we entered the market, there were really just, there was Indiana rye <laughs> coming yep. out of MGP. Um, and then Beam, of course, was doing a significant amount of rye. And those two ryes, those two varieties were labeled under dozens of brands and so there was this illusion of variety and consumer choice but the reality was it was the most one of the most hegemonic sort of categories um in america and so we felt like we had a responsibility to bring back this regional identity we also really wanted to bring back a taste of place to whiskey 
Yeah. Right, well, right. Connect it to the land, be more terroir driven. That, that mm-hmm. completely makes sense to me. But of course, as you mentioned, like I'm, uh, you know, maybe we're in a bubble and we, we love this stuff. So we're, we're paying attention to it. But how do you uh, how do you translate that to information that's consumable to the consumer? Like, you know, because I feel like there's a large swath of them that frankly just don't care. <laughs> like they just well, want they just want something that tastes good and is uh, reasonably priced and they don't really care about the rest. You know what? I think what we found is consumers do care, but they've had really limited access to information. Even the most educated consumers about beer and wine when we started, for them, spirits were largely a black box because there weren't a lot of avenues, you know, to really learn and see about them up close. Um, You can't home distill legally. Sure, you know, there are ways around that, but um, it's not like beer in that regard. And there certainly wasn't the community built up around the production of um, amateur spirit makers as there is around home brewers or even home winemakers. So what we set out to do was really build a distillery that was built as much for education or what we've come to, you know, we really see this edutainment now, but um <laughs> Because in the spirit of people want to learn, but it's got to be fun and it's got to be accessible and it's got to meet people where they are. Uh, we can't forget that we are here to also aid in people having fun, you know? Right. What's more yeah. fun to learn about than booze? Right, right. <laughs> like nothing. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, I always say, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's no better place to get an education than at a bar. And if that's true, then Amoria Margo is college. Um, yeah, totally. Like I want people to learn as much as they want to learn, but the hurdle that I face, and the thing that I was trying to allude to, maybe on a on a grander scale with you, the hurdle that I face, of course, is that lots of folks come in there with no intention of learning; they just want to enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I have mm-hmm. to suss that person out and realize, okay, this guy doesn't want to hear it, this lady doesn't want to hear it, but but I have to be also, you know, hyper aware of the the person who does want to hear it, who's maybe a little shy to ask about it. But then I don't want to, you know, just be an info dump on somebody's night. I want them to have a good time, but. Uh, yeah, no. that no, that's such a good point. We've we've really tried to sort of gradiate our programming around people's level of interest. So, you know, there's um, the consumer that really wants to do a deep dive, that wants to um, go super nerdy and into the science. And so, we build programs for that consumer. We also build um, programs and events for people that are just getting their feet wet. Um, and, you know, we certainly approach those um, kind of interactions pretty differently, just like you're saying. Yeah. Um, well, it looks like we're kind of close to the first uh, chunk of the show. So let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. I want to point out to the listener, uh, Damon's not just being quiet. Apparently in California, he's lost his Internet connection, so he's dropped out of the show. He may come back up. Oh, I see his name back on the screen, so he may be back for the second part of the show. But we'll be right back continue talking about Monongahela-style rye whiskey uh, with Meredith Grilly. Is that, am I pronouncing that right, Meredith? Yeah, rhymes with smelly. All right, Meredith, <laughs> Meredith Grilly uh, from Wiggle Whiskey. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's. 
but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or a small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash speakeasy. And we're back. You're listening to the Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, as we mentioned before the break, unfortunately, we did lose Damon's internet connection. Uh, so don't worry, he hasn't suddenly become super shy. Uh, but we are going to have to carry on with Adam for the second half of the show, unfortunately. Uh, but the good news, still with us here in the virtual studio, we have Meredith Grelly from Wiggle Whiskey in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And uh, before we went to the break, um, you were talking about... Uh, every time you mentioned the founding of Wiggle, you you use the word we. So who is the we in this equation? Yeah, we, when we founded, was my immediate family. My husband, my parents were our full-time volunteers in their retirement. Um, and I even wrote, we had one of my brothers roped into the day-to-day as well. Um, but nowadays, it's, we've, you know, become a little leggier than we were in those early days. And so pre-COVID, we had about 168 um, people on the Wiggle team. So it's far beyond myself or the we that I mentioned at founding. But that's awesome. I mean, a real family affair. I I, yeah. I love those stories in um, in in brands, you know, when it's when it's all about the family that got together to get it done. And, and also, I, I just love knowing that you and your husband are on such a same page that you could say, yeah, let's let's start making whiskey and that your parents were like, yeah, let's make whiskey. I know. Isn't that the wildest part of it? My parents are good people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, my parents might have been like, let's drink whiskey, but they certainly wouldn't have been like, let's roll up our sleeves and make whiskey. They, they, you know, just bring bring over the bottle. That's all they want. Right. Um, in my notes. smarter. Yeah, in my notes here, uh, it says that uh, you're a, a two-time James Beard Award semifinalist. Talk to me about that. You know, I'm a former chef, so I want to know what this is all about. I mean, I you know as much about it as I do. It's so super secretive, all that James Beard stuff. Um, I don't, I mean, we were so thrilled to be nominated and acknowledged in that way. And really, that's all I know about it. I've, you know, both years I walked um, out of a meeting in one of our staff members told me, hey, I think you were just nominated. And that was, I mean, it was, it sort of bowled me over. That's awesome. Um, what, which that, cat, which category are we talking about? Um, the, uh, it's out, it's alcohol producer. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the, it's, the title is longer than that. I think it's like beer, wine, spirits producer. Sure. I mean, that's pretty incredible, though. It's a benchmark to show that, you know, what you're making is quality. And the fact that you've been around, uh, you know, for uh, in the grand scheme of things, and especially in the grand scheme of whiskey things, not that long, 2011, you know, you're nine years old. That's, uh, you know, there's whiskeys out there older than your whiskey company, right? 
Yeah, yeah. No, it was it's it's nice to receive industry acknowledgement like that. You know, you don't um I think you guys, you know, as small business owners know that you can't look for external validation to keep going. You got to find some internal, you know, well of resilience to keep moving forward and but it's really nice when there's some external acknowledgement of the work that's gone in. Yeah, of course. And then and then Imbibe Magazine rated you as one of their uh, Imbibe 75. They do every year, uh, Beverage Professionals to Watch. That's pretty cool. And you've got a book, uh, The Whiskey Rebellion and the Rebirth of Rye. Uh, um, and when did the book come out? Yeah, I actually refer to that as a large pamphlet. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it came out a few years ago. I worked on it um, – I started working on it just a couple of years, probably after we started the company, but um, I really, we wanted to get this sort of story down both about um, historically what we saw with Rye and, you know, there've been many great articles written about it and we sort of wanted to mix in um, the present day rebuilding of Rye and the Rye whiskey industry and what craft whiskey, what that, meant to us along with some of those historical uh uh tidbits so yeah it was a really fun project um when i think back on it now i actually don't know how um i was a lunatic apparently writing this book (laughs) while we were starting this company and we had a baby and i don't even know i don't even know I think that's kind of everyone that I've ever talked to who has written a book has been, you know, it starts as like, oh, yeah, like I already know all of this stuff. And then if you talk to them in the middle of doing it, they kind of have this sort of thousand yard Christ stare. They're like, like <laughs> what was I thinking? I was a fool. I was a fool. Exactly. But but also, I mean, you're the thing that I love about Wiggle is that you guys are so focused on the education. It's not just like uh, a side dish for you. It's kind of. Your whole business model is, you know, we could take whiskey that cost us two fifty to buy, put it in a new bottle, and sell it for forty dollars at the liquor store. But we're gonna go that extra mile. We're gonna make sure that people learn about where this came from, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna invest in our clientele investing in us kind of like from an educational one from a almost kind of emotional standpoint so i'm i'm sure a lot of that information is always at the front of your brain whenever you go into work it's just uh you know taking taking your fingers and putting it into a keyboard that's the hard yeah. part oh absolutely i mean we had to learn such a tremendous amount when we were starting and still to this day um both about the history and the production and all of that that we went on a lot of the same journey that, you know, we try to bring consumers along now. So it's certainly a very personal sort of approach to it. Absolutely. And I love, I love the personal approach, but that's got to be tricky to put it mildly these days because, you know, personal contact right now is a dangerous thing. So how have you adapted, you know, the, not just, the business model, and I'm sure the physical space had to adapt, but just kind of the zeitgeist of, you know, your brewery to a time when face-to-face contact is, is, uh, is unwise. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So our sites 
are we have seven total sites between the two companies in Western Pennsylvania, and all the program. You know, we do on average three programs a day, meeting events across sites, in addition to just being public spaces. And we had been working for the past two years on a pretty big expansion at our main site, our distillery site um, in Pittsburgh's Strip District. Um, and we built a mini museum and a full restaurant, a new bar and a new tasting room and event space. And we opened that expanded distillery on Friday the 13th of March, which of course should have been an omen. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's... uh... The world's worst timing. Ouch. We opened up and um, we, you know, people weren't sort of in, in, in panic mode just yet. We had a really nice opening night. And then that weekend, we saw all of our site traffic across all of our sites decline somewhere between 65 and 85%, depending on which site. And then um, Sunday, that opening weekend, the governor um, made his declaration that um, all bars and restaurants would close. And so we closed our doors that Sunday night. So we had this beautiful two days of opening and then, you know, shut it down and pretty much overnight turned that beautiful new bar and restaurant into a shipping and fulfillment center for online sales. Wow. It didn't even get a chance to get any whiskey stains on the bar yet. No, we have a lot of like, um, like packing tape stuck to our beautiful marble tables now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The disappointment. Um, and you guys do, uh, you know, I think all spirits brands are, are at least community minded in some way, but it looks like you guys do a tr- pretty tremendous amount of community outreach. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about some of those efforts that you do. Yeah, that's community, you know, and I think community is it just like, you know, you're saying it's, I think it's a, something we really have to think through in a pretty deep way these days you know, who exactly is included in community and how do we make sure that um, we're including our whole community when we say community. Um, But we, um, my background before Wiggle was in community development. And so it's just kind of baked into how we operate and think about things. We always, you know, our team always tries to get to yes to any ask. Um, we try to find a way. We host um, thousands of community fundraisers at our sites. So we have some sites that are, um, we have a fundraiser where we give the space for free to a um, community organization or a nonprofit just about every night. Um, we have um, built up a pretty significant local supply chain. Um, and that starts with the grain, as you mentioned when we started. So we're the largest purchaser of our of organic grain in the state, um, but really extends through our supply chain. Um, And then we were the first company in the state to sign on to uh, Governor Wolf's voluntary living wage program several years ago. Um, And so we really think about our community as our larger region, as well as, um, you know, from an agricultural perspective and then our own uh, team. And we, 
we we try to do well by each of those groups, but we continue to learn. And I think one of the things that craft um, alcohol can do a better job of um, certainly moving forward is doing a better job of including um, all people from all different backgrounds that may not feel a part of the craft alcohol community right now. And that's certainly what drew us in part to start um, a distillery like Wiggle. We, we felt that American whiskey had left out a large portion of the market in their outreach and their communications. And, and people like myself and my husband didn't feel like they were doing much to get us to the table. And I think we have an opportunity now with Black Lives Matter as, you know, to really think more deeply about how we're getting everyone to the table that may want to be a part of what we're doing. So one of the ways we're doing that, we've spent the past year developing um, an apprenticeship program for our production team with um, guidance from the city of Pittsburgh, as well as we're working with a regional nonprofit called Partner for Work um, to try to continue to build out our production team in a more thoughtful way because, you know, we expect so much of our team. We expect them to be fastidious and really pay huge attention to detail over really long hours. They're producing in the wee morning as well as late into the night every day. We also expect them to be on the leading edge of innovation in spirits. And so to be ever evolving and innovating, you really have to draw on a wide range of experiences and taste buds and knowledge. And it behooves us to get um, a really diverse um, crop of talent um, into our distillery. So that's our hope. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. What um, what does innovation look like uh, when you're when you're making a spirit brand? What you know you're kind of tied to tradition in a lot of ways, right? You want to make a, a, a you know a Monongahela style rye, and you want to do it in a traditional way. But what is what is an innovation in that in that arena? Yeah, so that's a great question. We think a lot about innovation, and I think you know one of the things we say is if a private equity firm you know, tried to buy Wiggle, they would, the first thing they would do is eliminate all the many inefficiencies <laughs> at our place. And certainly our unwieldy portfolio is probably the first thing that would be, um, you know, an ax would be taken to. We produce anywhere, somewhere around 36 unique spirits um, in our portfolio at a time. And we think about innovation from sort of three layers. We think about continuous improvement, um, we think about what we call fast cycle innovation, which is really internally driven. It's driven by ideas from our production team or our sales and marketing team or our customers, um, bartenders, bar managers, or public ideas. Um, and those products are really intended to be to sort of scratch an itch and to push us and to keep us on our toes. And then we also, our third sort of tier of innovation is what we call slow cycle innovation. And that is really um, very consumer led. It's stuff that requires maybe some CapEx. It um, has a longer lead time, requires more research and development on our part. And 
those products. We release just um, one or two of those products a year, uh, really. Um, and so we try to keep this mix always of drawing on our region, our regional flavors and our history, but also continuing to push forward and think through what's um, what will be interesting uh, yeah. in the future of spirits. Yeah, well, your your website is really an amazing read. Like you log on, and I, you know, if if you go to a lot of whiskey websites, you'll see like a couple different expressions. Maybe yours is like a brewery where it's like check out these thirty different beers that we make, and it's kind of astounding, you know, because there's not to not to say that one is more challenging than the other to make. I would never, you know, try an apples and oranges that one, but the process of creating. A distilled spirit is just by definition a lengthier one so it's kind of surprising to see so many offerings on uh, your website so what steps are you taking now you've got this big catalog what steps are you taking now to get them into the hands of your fans in this uh, this weird crappy time we're all dealing with right now yeah well we are um, we're certainly selling online and doing curbside pickups at our place. Um, but we're also, I heard, you know, and when you guys were chatting before the show started, you guys are reopening as well. And so are we. So we are starting our reopening this week and we'll be bringing guests back in. And, you know, we are sort of <laughs> going to see, you know, we have a really strong plan, I think. And the interactions will be quite different than what they were. But in some ways, I think guests may benefit because we're really having to rethink every step and think about how to create meaningful experiences for people in this new world. And in many cases, that means they're going to be more intimate experiences. And yeah, yeah, I see that. I see that for all of our space. That's what we're going to have to do is yeah. we're, we're all going to have to focus on creating well, which, which is what we already do. Damon and I talk about this all the time, on and off the air, and, and Greg as well. Like we we don't we don't serve drinks; we serve experiences. Right. Um, so now we're gonna have to change the that experience to be for a more small a smaller crowd, a you know more intimate group. And I think you're gonna have to do the same, especially with things like tours and stuff like that, right? Absolutely. And not only does it need to be smaller or more intimate, it needs to be incredible. Because why on earth would you go out? for a mediocre experience at this point, right? Everyone's expectations are going to be, in my mind, through the roof. I think some of our team members have thought, you know, have we're thinking about this differently. Like we've got to, if it's going to, people will just have to expect that it'll take longer. It'll, but, and we sort of had to reframe that. Like that can't be the conversation or why on earth will people come to us? If the experience is not phenomenal, they're taking a risk just as we are. We've got to make it worth their while. Or what are we all doing? Let's just stay home. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's uh, you're not going to be enticed to put yourself in a position of, you know, potential hazard if the reward isn't pretty, pretty stellar. What right. uh, what do you have in mind to, to to alter your your experience to meet that expectation? Well, we are doing um, we're doing classes that are more hands-on and small individual, so they're more elaborate. So, for instance, this is actually at our cider company, Threadbare. 
but we do, um, we've done cheese making classes in the past and we're doing classes like that where every person gets their own whole setup. They get all their kitchen equipment, they get all of their own um, enzymes and dairy and all of that. And they have their own little world. And we have an instructor who's there to help them through it. But that's a very obviously involved kind of class. They get cider pairings throughout. They are doing a lot. They have a lot of their own equipment that we provide, but it's, it's, it, it provides for us a price point where we can afford to actually, you know, I heard you guys talking about, does it make sense to bring in staff? Well, we can justify having a teacher there for a group of six to eight people because people will pay for that kind of experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's, you know, they're not just getting, you know, the, the cider or the cheese or what have you at the end of the day, they're getting the experience and they're getting, you know, the, the knowledge of it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, are you, I, I, this, this seems like a huge undertaking that you had a big, you know, you had what, seven different sites that you kind of had to bring all to a halt at the same time. Yeah. So what this seems like a big undertaking. Are you is there any like companies or whatever that you're working with to try and to 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 make the transition back to, you know, slowly but surely revving into gear again to make that a little bit easier with like uh, uh, what are you guys doing? Like contactless, anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah, touchless transactions have been huge for us actually throughout this whole shutdown because while we've been doing um, curbside, one of the things that we're able to do is a touchless transaction um, through our Square point of sale system that allows us essentially a customer would place an order on our website, they would open their car door, let us know they're here, and we would drop it in um, their trunk and close their door and they would drive off. And it was truly absolutely touchless. And that was because of the way our um, website is able to talk to our point of sale to our system, which is through Square. Um, it worked seamlessly and was able. We were able to provide an experience that customers had confidence in, and we saw those people come back and back because they knew they could trust us. Um, so that's been helpful, and we'll continue with that kind of touchless experience um, from a transaction perspective at all of our retail locations moving forward. It, it almost sounds kind of fun. Like, I mean, you know, we talk a lot on the show about how we don't really like the fetishization of like speakeasies because it's like, why would you want to be right. the glory days of like when things were illegal? But right. I have to admit there is something that's kind of fun about the idea of like pulling up and someone will just like load a bunch of whiskey into your trunk and then it's like, go, 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 you know? <laughs> totally. We were calling it whiskey a go-go and we had these like cheesy signs outside. Um, like we were, we were shoving whiskey in people's trunks and they would drive off and that's brilliant and someone on instagram was like you know you might get some trademark trouble (laughs) (laughs) yeah screw that uh people got bigger fish to fry right now um i i love it that's pretty funny um so wait but I'm, i'm a little unclear on the process so as a consumer i log on to the website i can place my order and pay and then i just wheel up and you dump it in the trunk exactly that's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, well, if if someone wanted to get in touch with you or maybe uh, see about you know doing a little whiskey a go go themselves, what would be a good way to get in touch? Yeah, they can um, go to our website 
wiggle whiskey wiggle with one g.com or we're on instagram and facebook and both at wiggle whiskey that's fantastic um well hey we wanted to say thank you so so much for joining us in the studio today to talk about wiggle whiskey and education and just what you know how how we're all we're all finding our own fun ways to muddle through i hope that your really nice whiskey tasting room is back up and running as a tasting room and not as you know a (laughs) delivery node sometime soon oh yeah and i can't wait to come visit you guys thank you so much for having me on i appreciate everything you're doing to rebuild your places too we're all in this together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I, I keep saying uh, uh, we're, we're all in the same storm. We're just in different boats. It's uh, true. But we, we, we've, got true. A, we've got to hope that the tide will raise us all back to the level that we used to be at, and, and hopefully everything can move forward from there. But really nice to have you on, and thank you for talking to us candidly about what's going on with your company, Wiggle Whiskey, uh, and look forward to seeing your face at sometime soon over a bar, hopefully, maybe even yeah. over your oh, maybe even over your brand new facility that you, you barely got to uh, operate before you had to pivot. Um, I'm sure you'd love to see that back in action as you planned for it to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be nice. It's a good Buddhist experiment, though. Can you let go of everything? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, seriously, everything. Yeah. Yeah. The Buddha said to let go. He never said you had to like it, right? Yeah, that's right. 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 <laughs> uh, well, that's it for the speakeasy this week. Thanks very much for tuning in and joining us. Uh, I also want to mention real quick that it is the summer fundraising drive for Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we know that this is, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of very worthy causes have their, uh, you know, are, are in need of funds right now. But uh, I just want to say it's been a real joy for me personally to be a part of Heritage Radio Network during this. We're producing 35 weekly shows from bedrooms and departments and jerry-rigged home studios across the country. And if you go to Heritage Radio Network right now and become a member with a donation of uh, $60 or more, you will get two custom-made, or not custom-made, limited edition uh, Heritage Radio Network bandanas, one for you, one to give away as a friend. They look awesome. They're designed by Mover and Shaker Co. They have the all-seeing pizza eye on them, which I love. So it's definitely worth checking out on the website. Uh, but that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Thanks very much for tuning in. And uh, until next time, cheers, everybody. Cheers, everyone. Thanks so much. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The devil runs his groove in them rhythm and blues that sound. It's gonna get you The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com forward slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows that you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.